0: The Sydney Opera House acknowledges the Gadigal of the Eora Nation, traditional custodians of Jubagali, the land on which the Opera House stands. We honour the long Gadigal history of gathering and storytelling, and acknowledge the strength and resilience of First Nations people and communities past and present. Welcome to Ideas at the House, a podcast featuring talks and ideas from the Sydney Opera House. In a historical turn of events, voters in the 2022 federal election made the move away from the traditional two-party system with a record number of independents and Greens candidates elected. Labor was able to form government in its own right, but many suggest this might well be the last time a major political party does. Stitching together coalitions after an election in order to form a government is the norm in some countries. Could this become the norm here in Australia? At Antidote 2022, Chief Political Correspondent for the Saturday Paper, Karen Middleton, sat down with crossbench trendsetters Cathy McGowan, Adam Bant and Allegra Spender to put our new state of affairs under the microscope. This event was recorded live at the Sydney Opera House in September 2022.
1: Good afternoon, my name is Karen Middleton, I'm the Chief Political Correspondent for the Saturday paper and this afternoon I will be your session chair here. I'm going to introduce you now, these people are well known, but I'm going to introduce you to each of them so that we know who we're hearing from today. Uh, immediately to my left, Allegra Spender is the newly elected member for the seat of Wentworth here in Sydney's east. Allegra was a business leader in the fashion industry before entering parliament and has been a business and policy analyst. Her candidacy in Wentworth saw the Liberal Party's vote fall by almost 7%. Welcome, Allegra. Adam Bant is a familiar face. He's the leader of the Australian Greens at the federal level and has held that position since 2020, and member for the seat of Melbourne since 2010. At the recent election, the Greens saw a surge in their vote and won three new House of Representatives seats in southern Queensland, taking Ryan and Brisbane from the Liberals and Griffiths from Labor, and also increased their representation in the Senate. Welcome, Adam. And Kathy McGowan, former independent federal member for the Victorian seat of Indi and instigator, really, of this new movement. Of independence, mm-hmm. along with her supporters. Kathy has created a template for how communities can select independent candidates and either get them elected or at least turn safe, often overlooked seats into marginal ones. So welcome, Kathy.
2: Thank you. Kathy.
1: Hey, We're here to talk politics, and we've got a new era in politics already, I think, with the rise of cross-bench power through the May 21 federal election. So I'm going to remind you of today's theme, so we've got it in our heads. How will the crossbench flex its new political muscle? The crossbenchers in our federal parliament got quite a bit more crowded at this year's election. Will this independence movement continue to grow? And how will they enact their agenda with the new government? I'm going to start with you, Allegra. You're a member of the the new independent wave. (laughs) Yes. So... um, your seat of Wentworth demonstrated a sort of an independent inclination by electing Karen Phelps at a by-election in 2018, after Malcolm Turnbull was ousted from the prime ministership and then retired from politics. But it returned back to the Liberals again at the election the following year. Mm. What what made the voters of Wentworth, do you think, turn back in 2022? other than Mm. the excellent candidate, of course, (laughs) the quality of the candidate, but what other factors were there there in that seat that delivered that seat to you, an independent?
3: Look, I think the biggest lesson I take from the election is that communities want their values to be represented and they want to have community first, not party first. And, you know, the values of Wentworth, you know, was really encapsulated beautifully by a man I met actually on Bondi and I said, oh, what's important to you? And he said, look... You know, I care about the environment. I live here because it's beautiful. I want to pass it to my children. He said, I want a kind and decent society. I think that's actually really important. And he said, and I'm a small business owner and that's absolutely crucial to me. And so I think that really talks to Wentworth. But, and I think that's really the gap because I think people looked at the last three years of the government and said, does that represent the values of Wentworth? No. And then specifically at the member, to go, well, how did they vote? How did they act? Did they represent the values of Wentworth? And I think the, the conclusion I think they took was no. And, you know, one example I, I sort of, you know, was kind of quite shocking to me actually was, you know, Karen Phelps' probably greatest achievement as a member of parliament was um, passing the Medivac legislation to get critical al- asylum seekers and refugees off Nauru. And then the new member, Dave Sharma, it was one of his first votes was to repeal that legislation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing where people go, you know what, we actually supported that. Mm -hmm. We support humane treatment of refugees. We don't like that. And, um, but this member, they're not willing to stand up. I think that was a big message for me.
1: Well, it was actually driven by that electorate. Well, the exactly right. Well, of that electorate. So yeah. that made a significant difference. So that used to be what we would call in the business a blue ribbon liberal seat. Um, are there any such things as a blue ribbon seat or indeed a safe Seat anymore? Look,
3: I've heard both sides of Parliament say there's no such thing as a safe seat anymore. So I say both sides, both the major parties, because now there are three sides of Parliament, which is actually a great, and we're still all getting used to it, to be honest. Um, But it's, I've heard both the major parties say, oh, there is no such thing as a safe seat anymore. And that I think is an extremely good thing for Australian democracy because it means that the people in the seats have significant influence and can have significant influence about the outcomes both of their election but also of, of the, um, you know, the country's
1: um, uh, forward. And Kathy, I've heard you say there's no such thing as a conservative seat. That's your view, isn't it? Yeah. What do you mean by that? Why would you say there's no such thing as a... As a conservative seat, we still have plenty plenty of conservative as yeah. a parliament well, and, uh, you know, balanced democracy. Yeah. Well, I
2: hear lots of people say, oh, Cathy, you don't understand. <laughs> you know, we, it's a really conservative seat. <laughs> and I look at them and I say, well, that's just because I haven't had a choice. Um, and when I find that you put a choice up, So it's not either between the Liberals or the Nats because that's often what it is in the country. If you put a good good independent Mm -hmm. up who reflects the values, people just flock to it. So what I'm learning about Australian politics is some of that language that used to describe us was only valid when the choice wasn't there and that now we're giving people a choice of good independence, community independence, who are values-based, you know, and like Allegra and all her friends on the crossbench, people go, oh, my God, that's such a lovely thing. I'm going to vote for them. So, and it's not actually, a it's often not about the politics of it. It's about the calibre of the representative. And people respond to it. I've, I just exactly like what you've been saying. Mm. People respond to it and say, yeah, you reflect me. I'll
1: vote for you. Mm. Now, you're across the stats from the independents in the election. Can you give us a rundown, Cathy, mm. on, you know, how many ran in in terms of the the sort of movement that we talk about with Allegra and and others in a similar vein and what was the result really? Yeah, so I I basically talk about this thing called community
2: independence where a community got organised, um, said we want something better and then they went and found an Allegra And then that community got behind that candidate and ran a community campaign. So that's sort of what we call as a community independent movement. And it's a little bit different from an independent just saying, you know, I'm a really good person, vote for me, I'm going to run a campaign. So the difference is it's a community activity. So if I talk about that, in the last election I knew about 23, I was in touch with 23 electorates that ran community independent campaigns and of those, uh, six uh, and plus six plus um, in a different sort of way, Dilee in Fowler. So six and a half, seven got up. And there is about another 10 that made their seats from being a very safe, <laughs> conservative seat. They are now marginal seats. Mm. And so that's 10, so that's about 16 that are whatever. And then there's a probably about another um, four and three is seven, seven to eight who. Um, got a may- maybe got a swing of about 10%. So they're just beginning the process and they'll run again. So the really interesting thing for me in this conversation is what does success look like? So of course getting a Member of Parliament elected is a fantastic success, but I tell you what, making a seat marginal when you've always been a safe, conservative, boring, um, you get what you're given by the major parties... What- when you get to run your own campaign as a community and you get a fantastic candidate. And I was just saying to Adam that one of those seats is Nichols, based around Shepparton, Echuca and um, Seymour in northeast Victoria. So they picked their own candidate and he ended up getting from, you know, a start of zilch, he ended up getting 25,000 votes and it was a 20% swing. And that community, like they were so disappointed they didn't win, but my word, the sense that they've got that they actually have one because they're now a marginal seat and they've
1: found their power mm. uh, is huge. I'm interested in this rural and urban thing and I want to come back to it because I think it's important, but let's hear from Adam. Adam, your party had a pretty stellar election. You, you increased your representation in the Senate to 12. You won those three extra... Uh, seats in the lower house. I confess it was a surprise to me. I'll make a confession. I did have a conversation with Adam in the middle of the election campaign in the green room for the Insiders, ABC Insiders program, where he said, oh, look, we're looking really good in these three seats. And I thought, oh, that's pretty optimistic. And, of course, we didn't didn't have the extended uh, conversation and I didn't ask him how is that going to happen because the story is the the kind of campaign that you ran there. And I want to come to that. But before we just, before we get to the specifics, there was obviously a surge in the green vote as well as the independence that we've just heard about. What was that about, do you think? Was it just because the zeitgeist on climate change was back had come back around, or was there more to it than that? can you Can you quantify that for us?
4: Yeah, I think it's worth just noting that it is actually really exciting that there was a surge to both green and independence, and especially when some were saying, "Oh well, one might come at the expense of the other." and like this this situation we have now where we've got a parliament where, roughly speaking, you know, a third of the country voted for the opposition, and a third voted for the government, and a third voted for someone else. Like that, that is massive. Like that is a, there's a really, really um, seismic shift that has happened. Look, for us, it was uh, about um, uh, three things really in those seats of Queensland. One was offering an alternative on climate. At that uh, at an election where they were really. You know the the opposition and and the government were really doing their best to try and stop climate being an issue at the election and to bury it. So, and we went out there and talked about coal and gas and said, look, we've got to we've got to tackle this question of coal and gas. We offered an economic alternative, and at a time when we're facing not only a climate crisis but an inequality crisis in this country, with um, inequality at seventy year highs. We went out and we said, look, actually, things could be better. Um, Government could actually make your life better. If we just make those big corporations pay their fair share of tax, we can do things like get dental into Medicare. And the third thing was we ran a people-powered campaign. And it was the the kind of what we've had a lot um, of experience in the Greens of these community campaigns. In Brisbane, we've had them going for quite some time. And um, from the council level where we won the council seat and then we won state seats on top of that. And we've been building for some time. And that shift towards, um, uh, you know, I'm I'm a kind of an A-type personality. And so when you have people involved in your campaigns, especially for lots of politicians, the temptation is there to control and say, right, this is what you've got to say. But um, but when you switch and say, I'm going to empower these supporters and people Mm -hmm. to go out and do politics themselves, um, in Griffith, they knocked on every door in the electorate. And um, they had thousands and thousands of conversations. And that people-powered campaign, together with offering those other alternatives, helped switch it. And there's kind of this myth that Queensland is conservative as well, mm. in part because of the, the people who've been returned from there in the past. It's not. It's, there's, like, I think people across the country recognise that politics is broken. And I think people in Queensland and Brisbane probably recognise that more... Um, perceptively than many other people and that was a big part of the reason that we saw a shift there too.
1: Adam, just back to what you were talking about. So how much of this, the way this campaign rolled out, was driven by the people in those electorates in your party? What involvement did the the National Greens kind of strategists have? Like, did you give them their heads completely. Did they work together across the three seats? How did, how did that work in a nuts and bolts sort of a way?
4: Well, it was um, a bit of both. We worked together on the um, the message that we would take, the national platform, and um, things like saying, you know, tax the billionaires, put dental into Medicare. That was something that we'd, um, we all worked collaboratively on. But the a lot of the campaigning that was being done there on the ground was things that we couldn't direct. Like, you couldn't even direct from the top down if you tried. To give you an example, there was one um, area, sort of a local park area, that was at threat of um, overdevelopment. And so the campaign team in Griffith <laughs> went and got some locals and they went and built a community garden in mm. the middle of the thing. And it, so it, was, it, it brought the community together and it helped build um, cohesion. Then when the lockdowns hit, the, um, the, the, one of the things that the campaign team did was went and go and ask people, look, do you need help? Um, do you need any support? And they ended up delivering these kind of care packages to people who were in lockdown. And they were able to get vegetables out of the community garden that they'd grown Um, that the community had done, put them in the care packages and volunteers were going off and delivering them to people. And when the floods hit, they suspended the campaign and just went out and worked with people <laughs> and said, oh, look, you know, knock on the door, I'm here from the Greens. And it's like, oh, mate, now it's not a good time. It's like, no, I'm not here to talk about your vote. Do you need help moving your fridge? And, or mm. to have my
1: picture taken with you?
4: Or? It's, yeah. Well, that's, that's right. There was, so there was none of that. So they just suspended the campaign and just went and did that. And it got to the point where, you know, the council would come past, especially to some of the poorer areas of the electorate, like two weeks later after the floods, and say, you know, they'd, they'd pull up... Um, one of my favourite stories is they pull up in the middle of the street, wind down the window and say to a house owner, oh, do you need any help? And she said, oh, no, it's all right. The Greens have come around and helped. And, and, and the council worker sighed and said, yeah, we've been hearing that a lot. <laughs>
1: Yeah, is that um, it, this reminds me of a um, of one of my favourite quotes from John Howard going way back, and he always used to say, you know, a very wily campaigner. He used to say, you can't fatten the pig on market day. Mm-hmm. And of course, so much of our politics is reactive and um, in the moment, and oh, here's a problem, fix it up, move to the next mm-hmm. problem. But what you're saying is actually, God forbid, they put in some legwork doing things that the community needed, and the community responded. With a vote, that's what you're saying by that's,
4: the sound of it. That's the that's the only one John Howard quote that sticks in my head. <laughs> that I, because that I, uh, I think that's right, and I think, but this it goes to what um, Cathy was saying. I think people can spot people who are just like trying doing the astroturfing and coming in at the last minute a mile off, and people like. Part of One of our mantras has been to change politics from being a monologue to a dialogue. Mm. And I think to do that, you've actually got to have been there and had the conversation with people before. Mm -hmm.
1: Allegra, how significant was it that you grew up in this electorate and knew it very well? Is that a big factor, do you think, in your own candidacy? Look, a lot of people mentioned that to me.
3: You know, I I, I was going to just jump in and say, I think that if you are authentically come from the community, then people think, oh, no, you're not a blow-in. You're not just here to tell me one thing. You actually come from the community that I went to school there that, you know, my my brother, my sister, we all live there. I think that was really big. Um, and I think you really saw that in um, Di Lee's Win and Fowler. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the, the, you know, another, I think, key lesson is that, you know, people want truly authentic representation. I think the most successful... Um, members of all parties and independents are the ones who are, as you described, grassroots. They're the ones who are extending their margins even if there's a swing nationally in a party. And I think, but when you throw somebody in to a community where there's no connection, there's no authenticity and there's a viable alternative, then that's when you make a difference. And I think that's a great example of, you know, Dylee and Fowler versus um, Andrew Charlton in Parramatta. He was, a, he was a thrown in, but there wasn't really a, a big independent mm. local to sort of fight that, I think, versus I think in, you know, fat, that would have gone to Labour if someone hadn't stood up and said, I'm from this community and no I want to see that representation is from the community.
1: Yeah. Mm. So, Cathy, you, you've got this, you know, movement going. You've been advising various communities on how they can get, um, potentially get independence elected. So how important is this candidate process? Because mm. we're talking about the quality and the authenticity of a, of a local candidate. Can you talk to us about yeah. that? What do you advise people when they say, how do, we, how do we start, where do we start? Is that where you start, with the candidate? I just just reflect on
2: um Lee, She was saying to me, it, it was, everyone thought it was an overnight win, but it was 14 years in the making. So she'd been counsellor and been doing work in that community forever. (coughs) So that encapsulates, I think, the process that we talk about is there's three Cs. You've got to get the community. The community's got to want change. You know, how many community, that whole life bulb joke. If you haven't got got the community, nothing works. So you've got to get the community organised. Then you've got to have a candidate that the people see as reflecting them. And that candidate has to reflect the community, mm. the values and behaviour have to be authentic. And then the third thing is you need a campaign that is going to win um, if, if in that sense. And in these other rural seats where they came second, they'll all run again and, and will, will have done the work, be well known So to, the, to, the, to look out parties. If you're not doing the work now, right. it's hard. So that's sort of the, the theme. And the overarching thing is that each community has sort of got to make, there's no real recipe about how to do it because the community's actually got to, exactly like what you've been saying, the community's actually got to do the work. They've got to come together. They've got to say, we want something better and we're prepared to put in the resources, money, time, energy, to do the cleaning up, to do the works. So if the community doesn't do that, it doesn't work. And then they've got to find the campaign, the candidate. Now, that's a bit of an art because there's no shortage of people saying, look at me, look at me, I'm gorgeous, I'll be a great candidate. The community's got to be able to say, yeah, you are, but you're actually not quite what we want. How? So the community's got to be able to be discerning mm. and choose of
1: the variety who's going to best do the job. It's awkward but, if it's a regional community where everyone knows each other. Is it awkward? It's all awkward.
2: It all takes skill. But if you don't, you've got to do the work at the beginning because being in politics is all awkward. You know, you're going to have really difficult discussions the whole way through. So that's why you've got to, if there was a recipe, you've actually got to start with agreed values and behaviour. So this is how we're going to work as a group. And if you can get that very awkward discussion happening early, (laughs) it provides the framework. For all the other difficult discussions that come along. Because it's not just in the candidate, it's people will come to you and say, I want to give you some money. Uh-huh. And you go, Yeah, you might, but we've actually got a policy about donations and you don't fit.
1: <laughs> I thought you floated <laughs> in on goodness and trust yeah, yeah, yeah. and integrity. What, well, you have yeah. money as
2: well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so th- there are some things there. And part of the organisation that I'm part of is called Community Independence Project. And during, we, we, we take it upon ourselves to run Zooms and information sessions and network, not so much to give a recipe, but to actually put people in touch with each other. So, and it's wonderful now that we've got the new, the seven new independents, because they've got these huge uh, knowledge and experience that we can share all around the country about how to do it. So, our job is to do the networking and to also. Um, you know, be asking the questions. You know, have you thought about it? And if you're running really fast, have you actually got your, you know, you be, have you got your volunteers to sign on to agreed sense of behaviour? So, that that's what works. But I just want to make a little bit of a comment too about um, the major parties because we haven't talked about them. But yep. I, I look at them and go, it's isn't it so odd that here we are sitting on a stage and Adam is saying exactly the same thing that I'm saying. <laughs> And Allegra's saying, and we represent totally different parts of the country, and it's a bit like, well, come on, National Party, you know, do some, do some groundwork, do some door knocking, actually come up with some policies and some candidates that reflect your community. And I'm and saying for the Liberal Party, it would be just such a relief if, 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 they could, if they could hear what we're saying and do it, it would make such a difference to, to democracy
1: in Australia, I'm sure. So what are the messages, Adam, to the big parties here? I mean, you've got former independent and an independent, and, but you're you're a party. Um, what message is the... And you, know, you mentioned at the beginning that, you know, you took heart from the fact that you know, there was a surge in both independent votes and green votes. What is, what is the message that the electorate is sending to the big parties, do you think?
4: It comes back to the thing that I was saying. I think people have... Many people across the country have an acute understanding that politics is not working for them at the moment. It's not. And... Um, the, they see decisions that are being made for vested interests rather than in the public interest. And we'll all have, as Cathy said, have different, un- different understandings about um, what that might mean. But I think people can see that the big challenges w- that we've got as a country are not being addressed. And, yes, we'll have different approaches, including on the crossbench, about how to deal with that. But at least we're going out there saying these are big issues, let's talk about them, and here's some solutions for dealing with it. And at the moment, um, that's... That, uh, and I think the penny still hasn't dropped mm-hmm. for um, for the government or for the opposition. For both, you think? Correct. That people are up for... People understand that politics is not working for the common good at the moment. And in the past, in so, so take the Queensland example, um, it has been... The I guess I would say the the sort of the populist right that have capitalised on that and said oh, all those people up in Canberra they don't act in your interest I'll fight for you um, and then of course they come to Canberra and they vote with the government all the time um, but the um, uh, that that idea that somehow accepting that politics isn't working for you that doesn't automatically lead you to go and vote for Pauline Hanson or Clive Palmer there's actually a different community-driven, progressive way of saying, no, we can make politics work for you. and But it involves saying we're prepared to take on some powerful interests to act in the public interest. And I think that message still hasn't got through.
1: Mm. So the big question, I guess, then, and maybe it's an un- unknowable answer, but is, is this a permanent change or a passing thing, this move towards independence? So, Legra, like, well, what sense do you have that that this is actually a shift in our thinking that we don't need two party, a two-party system so much anymore? Look, I think, this is,
3: I think this is a more of a permanent change, and this is, again, this is not an overnight change. If you've been tracking the major parties and how much they have um, getting the, the primary vote, it's been going down like this. And so I think, it, to, to Adam's point, you know, I always put in the terms of people want someone who represents the community first, not a party first, and interested, I think a lot of people are really interested in, policy not politics that's what they they know that there's some really difficult issues out there that we have to face and you know I, I have to say i sit there in question time some days and going you know they're just you know the two major parties are sitting there just having it's so much about each other like you know not all the time but sort of 70% of the exchange between you know the the coalition and labor is about well you guys when you were in power didn't do enough well we're doing you know and it was and it's i it just doesn't feel like the Australian people are in the room. It feels like two people having an argument between themselves. Mm. And I think that's what people expect more of because I don't know anyone in the community who actually thinks that question time is delivering outcomes for the community. And I do think the crossbench generally has a different um, approach even to question time because the questions are less wedgy and more like, you know, I guess probably more pointed, but more policy-focused and generally get a more respectful answer. And I, and I think that's, again, I think people are seeking respectful debate about really important issues with a focus on the community, not the party. So I do think this is going to be, you know, a, a permanent shift, but I, I, you know, share the, I think Cathy's view, that I want, you know, both major parties to wake up to what they need to do differently, because again, our parliament will be better if they take the lessons. I think from this mm. election. My
4: my mum was a teacher, and she said she'd refuse to ever bring the, um, her class up to Canberra, because then they'd have to watch Question Time. Yeah. So,
3: yeah. <laughs> no, but it's, and I, I think as a, I often said this with, as, you know, as a mum, going, I don't want my kids to behave like this. No, you know, this is not acceptable at my dinner table, so why on earth is this acceptable mm. in the parliament? It's not, it's a change in
1: values, I think. I'm interested in the tone, actually, the point about that. But I, Adam, I just want to ask you, there's a view in politics that once a seat goes to, you know, a previously safe seat, for one of those big parties goes to an independent or a minor party candidate, um, it stays and it's hard to get that seat back from them. And there's a good, you know, there's a lot of examples in history. I mean, Cathy wrested a seat from the the Liberals and and, uh, hung on to it until she decided to retire and, in fact, handed it on Mm -hmm. effectively um, via hard campaigning to another independent. You've been in the seat of Melbourne, which was a Labor seat for a very long time, and there's other examples of people, Ted Mack in North Sydney and others. Why do you think this is that people get used to the idea of alternative representation that isn't major party?
4: Well, I think a big part of it is that the reason... part of the reason that we get elected in the first place is actually paying attention to the community. Mm -hmm. And I I think we work harder. And we know that actually people... all all those things that we've just been saying means that um, you, you open up your doors a lot more to people to come in, you spend a lot more time helping build networks within the community... Um, You uh, uh, deal with problems that, you know, the the number of times I've I've heard from, you know, across the spectrum that, oh, it's nice that someone's actually finally helping us. And even if you can't solve every particular problem, when people see that you're spending your effort working with them side by side trying, trying to fight for it, they're like, thank goodness, It's, it's, it's about time. I've just been told for the last... 50 years that this has been impossible, that we can't fix it, or I'll try and change it from the inside. You're actually working with us to try and fix our problems and, and help build and connect the community. So I think a, a big part of it is that people see, oh, this is what it's like yeah. when you've got someone who's going to invest in the community.
2: Can I, can I talk about something that's a bit, a little bit different from that? Like you are just saying we do the job better. But I, I think something that happened in Indi was that we, as, an, as a community independent, Um, and I'm not reflecting on parties, but as a community independent, we did the job differently. Because community was who I was responsible for, I was the servant to the community. Mm. And I absolutely understood that they had the power. Like, that's what democracy is based on. Mm. And so when you work with a community and you know that they're the most important and you engage with them, something really profoundly different happened in this seat. And I think people are just getting a taste of it and it's going to be really good for democracy and Australia when we catch it on. So here's what happened. First off, you know, I, people got organised and I got elected. And then I said, well, I can only do the job if you stay connected with me. You need, I, you need to engage with me and you need to help me do the job. Uh, then people did that. And this profoundly different thing happened is that I became better at the job. The community became much better at understanding politics. A lot of their cynicism went and they became, in that sense, empowered. Mm. And and the the politics that I was able to take to Canberra was so much better because it actually engaged with the community to start with. So we got actually better governance because the community was at the centre of the politics Mm. and the people loved it. So when you're talking about doing it better, and doing it, I don't mean differently, because I think that's how, polit- that's how the de- democratic system was was designed to put the community at the centre. And then the parties just took control of it, stopped doing the work, started making policy from Melbourne or Sydney and then telling people what to do. They forgot about, you know, party branches and, you know, the conferences they used to have to make policy. So when we do that in, in Indi, so when I, when I decided that I wasn't going to run again, um, when Helen Haynes made the commitment, she said, I'm going to do the same thing that Cathy did. Like, it's not a personality cult that you're doing here. It's a way of doing politics. Mm -hmm. And I will continue to engage the community. And I absolutely understand that the community is the centre of everything I did. And so governance changed, empowerment changed, Mm -hmm. people changed. And now, right across that electorate, there are so many groups using their political power to get things done. Oh, so they've the mo- Empowerment. That's yeah. the key.
4: That's the key. And they've
2: moved from being... Yeah. Oh, I don't know. What's... I don't know. I haven't got a word, but cynical, disengaged, yes. all that stuff about the Prime Minister, the previous Prime Minister saying, don't trust government. These people now trust government because it's work... Government's actually working for them. And I think if we can... And I know you guys will do that through your engagement with your communities, more and more Australians will start owning our democracy. And belonging to it, because they know
1: they get a much better result when they're part of the team. So that sounds to me like a leadership message too. That's yeah. not top-down leadership. This mm. is a bottom-up leadership. So what does that say? What message should say the Liberal Party, the former yeah. government, take from that? Well,
2: if I, if I, if oh God help me, if I had any <laughs> chance to influence the Liberal Party, <laughs> I'd be saying, well, if you want to actually, this message that we're talking about is incredibly popular, and it's going to race, you know, it's gonna it's gonna go somewhere. So if you want to be part of the race, race, if you want to be part of this whole discussion, <laughs> Liberal Party, you need to change what you're gonna be doing. Now I'm not the first person to say that, but what I'd be encouraging them to do was look at their leadership and I'd be saying, well look at Karen Andrews. You know, she's the sort of leader of the Liberal Party that I'd like to get behind. So maybe if she was the leader and Bridget Archer, for example, was the deputy, I'd have a sense then that the Liberal Party was actually getting the message. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But while they continue to have the leadership that they've got, and and I have to say, you know, the the Skills and Jobs Summit, like, what a You know, like, I'm not going to go. And then the deputy leader of the Liberal Party calling people... uh, What were they... Union, Thug, union thugs. Union thugs. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not going to win you many friends when your community actually want to be engaged in politics and half your electorate,
1: third of your electorate probably are union members, calling them thugs is not useful. There's quite a contrast with David Littleproud, the leader of the yeah, Nationals, who yeah. sat in the room was quite respectful of the new government and made a yeah. contribution that was yeah, productive, I think. But anyhow, that's really what I want to say is about this,
2: putting community at the centre is... People love it and they want more of it and they're going to
1: elect people who do it as opposed to people who don't do it. Allegra, those two future leaders of the Liberal Party uh, that Cathy just named are both women. Mm. Um, how much was the women seeing a thing, do you think, in, the, in that result and how much will it be a thing going forward? Look, I think it was a thing, and I have to say there were quite, I've met quite a few men who said
3: to me quite pointedly, my wife voted for you, <laughs> and um, I like, all right, I will take that message. <laughs> <laughs> uh, please thank her for me. <laughs> um, but um, look, you know, it was a big thing for why I ran. And, you know, I've got kids, I've got two girls, you know, my mum was a, a real feminist, and, and, a, and she sort of taught me as a, as a woman that, you know you, you know, you need to stand up, and, you know, I, I looked at the stats. And I looked at, you know, the coalition had for like the last 25 years, had never got above 25% representation in the lower house. And I was like, that just does not work for me. You know, I don't need some men to tell me, you know, um, that they're looking after me. I think women need to be in the room. And and that's not just about women, it's about diversity and the, the true representation of Australia should be in parliament. So I think it was a really major issue. And I think it's super exciting that... This parliament is the most um, reflective of the community in terms of ethnicity, in terms of gender um, that we've ever had. And 44 per cent of people in parliament are now women. And that is, that just jumped up from 36 per cent the previous parliament and 30 per cent the previous parliament before that. So I think that's a super exciting change and I think women had just had enough.
1: Mm. (laughs) So Adam, if this is a permanent shift all the, if all of these things we're talking about are a permanent shift there there are people who say the two party system provides ballast you know it's sort of stability and that if there are too many little independents and small parties that it's it's going to be destabilizing what adam your response to that how how well could independents and minor parties work together or do they lose their independence if they start to do that does it does it sort of naturally not not function in the way you, you might like it to?
4: We um, we bring new and different ideas to Parliament, and that's what people are craving. Like people, and it comes back to that point that I was saying about the big issues not being tackled. Like people want new thinking, and um, that's what we're bringing. And one of the things that I really like about the and we're seeing this, and you know, Kathy will know this because we. Um, uh, sat together on the crossbench for a while and now it's, it's expanded, but, but, you know, a vote will happen in Parliament, we'll come in, we'll have a chat with each other to make sure everyone understands what's happening and then everyone goes and votes their different ways. Mm. And it's not... because that reflects their communities. And um, I think there's this sense that politics will be better if there are more voices that are then committed to having a dialogue, a respectful dialogue with each other, even if you end up disagreeing. And it's the lack of that that has been the problem. And and one of the things we saw during the election campaign, especially in Queensland, was um, you had, we've had this terrible government that needed to be turfed out, and then you had an opposition Labor Party that was going around saying, they're terrible, but we just like them. Um, there's no difference between us on the economic questions and, um, and on some others. You, you don't need Refugees. to be afraid. Refugees. Mm. And people heard that message... And it was one of the things that was consistently being fed back to us when we were having our conversations with people was that, oh, well, if the current mob are so bad but the other one's saying they're not going to change that much, then why should I vote for them? And we were there putting an alternative. And, you know, you get to meet um, a number of interesting people in this job and I've met quite a few uh, representatives of other governments and um, embassies and many of them have all said that, oh, we expect that this may well be the last majority government that Australia sees um, for a very long time. And uh, that may well be the case. And I think that's going to put the... And I think what you see overseas is wh- in, in those parliaments where... And you don't have to look far. Go to New Zealand, where in those parliaments where there are more than one party involved in governing the country, where you put the effort into having the dialogue and saying, well, where can we agree, um, where we disagree, how are we going to agree to manage our differences? That's what people want. And, I, and I, think, I... I think that's... Like, if you talk about ballast... Sorry, I I just just to round it off. Like, I actually think that would provide... That would go a long way to reconnecting people, right? Because, yes, you mm. say there's ballast and stability, but there's also massive distrust in politics and massive disconnect. And you want to reconnect people and um, show that on facing some of the big issues, people are prepared to work together.
2: So, so yes, but it's, it's, I, want to, I want to value add to what you're talking about, Adam, because... The two-party system is sort of like old. (laughs) It's last century. It's been there for 100 years, and the world has changed and Australia's changed. So we now need to think about, well, how do we actually deal with these wicked problems instead of just you or me and yes or no? And Mm -hmm. so what I love about the diversity on the crossbench is the calibre of the people there have all, um, particularly the, under the community independence, they've run major organisations, they've dealt with wicked wicked problems, they've brought people together. Like, you know, Kylie Tink, for example, in her work, fancy getting the Sydney cricket ground to go pink. Like, any woman who can do that is just amazing. So you put her into parliament, how she'll bring those skills to bear. And then you look at Monique Ryan, all the stuff that she's done at the peak of her profession in that very patriarchal male-dominated health system, and she's worked wonders. So she's now in parliament, you know, Allegra, what you've done. But I'm just saying that the skill of the people there now on that Mm crossbench and value added to the New Greens, um, you know, just they will do things... In such a different way, because they're in touch with modern Australia, modern business, and business works with complexity. Mm. Parliament has just been caught up in in its its dichotomy, and got stuck in it, and they haven't been able to move. Um, and it used to just so so frustrate me. They they used to talk about, oh, we don't cross the floor, and I said, What is this? Why are you so proud you don't cross the floor? It was a really big thing, whereas us crossbench were crossing the floor all the time. You know, we were making decisions on what was best for the country, so we were crisscrossing all over the place. So I have great hope that with this community independence movement and the Greens that you've done in Brisbane, and yourself included, the calibre of the people will be so much different and better than what we've currently got, and they'll work in a 21st century Australian way, and the... Productivity will be just enormous. So.
3: <laughs> Actually, can I add one thing yeah. to that? Um, it's something you said to me, Kathy, and it really stuck with me. Which is, you know, you're not the oppo- you know you said, oh, I'm not the opposition, and that's how I feel. My job isn't to oppose things for the sake of saying, oh, I'm better than those guys. Actually, my job is to try and make government and parliament better. And I will do that in any way and I'll work with anyone to do that. And I will, I have voted, I think, I think in every permutation, frankly, sometimes only with the Greens, sometimes only with the crossbench, sometimes with the coalition and everybody else against the Greens or, you know, it's every single version of it. And I think that's the point is that your my your job has to be make the country better, be a constructive force, and I think that's you know if if I think that's my goal certainly as a crossbencher,
1: and I think certainly there are many of us who who feel that way. We want to make things better. So, how much is to be devil's advocate, um, and to, I guess to the two of you who are in Parliament, um, what if the new government actually hears the message about disillusionment and? seeks to address it and does it successfully, does that do you guys out of a job? Does that make it harder? How much was the disillusionment an issue in your rea- in your election? Mm. And if there is a shift to try and restore faith, because Albanese seems quite bent on that with his, I'm not going to break my promises and we need to keep faith with the people. Does that mean you need to recast your your, the nature of your candidacy next time around? Is that same kind of campaign going to work as well if the, if the disillusionment is less? It may not be less, of course. It's only early. There's plenty of time for them to stuff things up, like governments generally do. But, you know, what do you think, what do you think? Do you think that it, it makes it harder for you? Look, I think it actually, we could come back to the very
3: start of the conversation which was about community values. And I think if you really are sticking with your community values and saying, you know, what, what you positively stand for rather than what you're negatively standing against. Because this is, it's a, we ran a really positive campaign. We tried to be extremely positive because people don't want just sledging of the other side. People want actually to say, you know, I want to move forward in a, in a positive way and these are the areas where I want to, go. So I think, you know, if I hope very much it's a really great government, um, but I don't think that has to be in against my community standing
1: up for its values and me being in a really effective representative um, of that. Mm. And Adam, with your campaign, particularly that campaign in Queensland, how transferable do you think that is or how specific is, was that to the circumstances of the time, you know, that the two parties... Being replicas of each other that you talked about earlier, um, the particular issues that were to the fore in people's minds, or or is there a core sense that that there was that there is a way of reacting and responding as a candidate or a series of candidates to an electorate that is transferable to other times, other campaigns, other electorates across the country?
4: I, I think it is transferable because I think some of those big shifts are. Um, structural shifts that no amount of surface change from the old parties is going to cover up. Uh, To answer your other question, like, if we start a race to the top, then that'd be great. Like, wouldn't that be Mm. nice if politics turned into who's better than the other one rather than we're going to agree with you on, like, who can treat refugees the worst? Like, that that would be great. Um, But the big things on those questions, like, we're facing an inequality crisis and the economy is not working for everyday people and we're seeing that every day and we're facing a climate crisis... Um, and we know that coal and gas are causing that, and we've got to get out of them. On those two big issues, Labor and Liberal are both saying that they want to make the problem worse. Like on the inequality front, they're saying we'll barrel on and give tax cuts to billionaires, even though at the same time we're saying there's not enough money in the budget for other things. And on the climate front, they're saying, yeah, we still think, even though... You know, a a third of Pakistan is underwater, even though um, in Victoria, my state, we're being told to prepare for fires and floods at the same time in the next coming months. They're still saying we can open up new coal and gas mines. And these big shifts, because they're they're part of the political establishment and um, big corporations that, that are part of the old guard have got their teeth in those parties. And they're trying hard. As you say, they can see what's going on, but, um, but they're still stuck pursuing mm-hmm. the, the old rather than the new. And um, that is why I think it's transferable, but this, because what that is leading people to is that big sense, as I said, of, like, you're not tackling the big issues. And so, when we come in and say right we 're about empowering the community let's let's bring let's put the community back at the center of politics and make decisions in your interest rather than the vested interests it is It is absolutely transferable and um, it's uh, again like we 've got some, there's some elections coming up around the country, and that'll i guess be a sort of a first um, post-federal election sense of how things are going. But like, it, it's it's amazing that now, um, as we head towards the Victorian election, for example, all the pundits are saying, oh, well, how many how many seats are the Greens and Independents going to win? And, like, I think that's going to become a question that gets asked at all the state elections around. And I'd, I'd, I think... You I think this um, uh, certainly, from our perspective, I think you're looking at a floor, not a ceiling.
1: Sounds like an expectations management challenge to <laughs> me. <laughs> Did you say
4: floor? Sorry, yeah. not a, you're looking at a floor, not a, a floor not a ceiling. <laughs> think, yeah. you
1: know. um, I've got some questions from from our audience both here and, and online, and I'm going to hit you up with those now. Kathy, I'm going to ask this one to you. And uh, um, where to next? Is the two-party system? genuinely in danger? Uh, you've been tunnelling away under the two-party yeah. system there for a few years now. Is it is it about to fall in? Yeah. Well, I actually don't know the answer to that. It all depends on what they do. So,
2: uh, but if they don't do something really quickly, if they don't do something with their leadership to include women, mm. to reflect their community, to do something on these policies that just are hitting people in the face, ugh, people people will say, we don't like you very much and you'll go away. So. I don't think it's set in stone. I think there's every chance that some wise people in the Liberal Party, some wise people in the National Party, in, they're the ones I pay attention to, go, oh, my God, she's speaking some sense. We ought to listen to her and her friends and do something. It would as you say, a race to, the, to be better would be such a good thing and then have serious competition. So I live in hope. Um, if they don't do it, then actually it's sort of not a two-party system. It's, I like what you were saying, Allegra, there's the sort of three... There's the Conservatives, there's sort of Labor, and then there's the the modern Australian crossbench. Um, I think those three and how they work out, um, I think the crossbench are the ones that are going to be actually leading Australia and and the government will be running to catch up because you guys will be so popular.
1: I have a monarchy question. I'm going to let you decide who answers it. Given this increased focus on community-focused politics and community empowerment, how does the panel view the role of the monarchy in Australia? I guess that being the opposite of the community focus. That's a big sigh, Kathy. <laughs> Anyone? Oh, I, I, don't,
2: I don't see any role for the monarchy in Australia and I wish the Queen well in her afterlife and so Charles, <laughs> I wish him well but they've got no place for me in the life and the country that I want to live and I'll just give you a quick story about why. Because we were a colonial country when we set up our system of government in 1901. Everything went through England. You just look at the last census, like we're over half the population is born in or parents were born overseas. We are no longer anything like the, West, the English system of government. And so we need, as a nation, to reflect the population, the huge diversity we've got, and come up with our system of government that's going to work for us. So I love what happened in the Caribbean. The Caribbean nation saying, look, we can do better here. Thanks very much, England, but go away. Um, and I'm really looking forward to that really good discussion in Australia. And it's not anti-England, it's actually pro-Australia is the nation we want to become, and then we design a system of government that's going to work for us, and I so want to be part of it, because it will include recognition of Aboriginal people, but it will include a whole lot of other ways of working that actually help us define the nation we want to be, and not drag us down to the decisions that were made, you know, a hundred and whatever number years ago, 25 years ago. Mm. Uh, do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did you
3: want to I'm happy to add that, you know, my personal view is uh, very similar, Cathy, and I guess what I would say is that I think con- people want the stability that a constitutional monarchy has given Australia. It is a very, it's a stable, you know, it's a stable form of governance and I think people appreci- appreciated that piece but it seems so anachronistic that we're looking to England um, when when we're looking at the ultimate seat of, mm. you know, head of state. And so I think just getting a model that gives people that certainty that, you know, it's not, you know, you, you're, you've got mm. that, that stability of government and, and, you know, the value that the the actual role of the head of state plays is well understood and well protected. Um, Mm. But let's move to the future.
4: And just, I mean, I agree with what Kath said and I won't repeat it. Just to say I think now too, though, like there's an added obligation on us to think about what um, that period of colonialism meant for First Nations people Mm. and what it would mean to talk about that honestly and if we're having discussions about... Refounding our constitution with republics and so on, we now would be the time to actually seriously say, well what is it what did that period mean for First Nations people? What would it mean to tell the truth, what would it mean to have a treaty? How do we work those together into these discussions about um, how we want to govern ourselves in the future? And the good thing is uh, whether it's now, whether it's you know in a year's time whatever it is, I actually think part of the move that we're seeing in Parliament that we've been talking about today, one of the, these, these questions that are now surfacing that I think we're up for having a... a Better discussion about as a country than we have been perhaps as a while uh, have been for a while is what would it mean um, to to recognise some of the truths of our past and to, mm-hmm. to form a new system of government and to have that honest discussion with First Nations peoples mm-hmm. equals. Yeah. and I actually think that would be incredibly exciting. You just look across at New Zealand and look at how yeah. they have handled some of those issues and think about what that can mean for us as a future as a country. Here, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm.
1: Adam, I'm going to pitch this one at you. How much is the lack of media diversity a challenge to independence and Greens? Mm.
4: Look, it's it's a um, um, it's, it's a double I don't know double edged sword isn't quite the right thing, but um, on the one hand, it's a uh, it's a it's a big issue because one of the things that we have found over the years is that um, it's not our policies that need to change. We just need to let people know what we stand for. And so, which is part of the reason why community campaigns and empowering is so exciting because we're able to deliver those messages one, one-to-one. And I think probably most people who aren't in the Labor or coalition parties would say that the media is the, the concentration, the main, like the bigger media outlets tend to report those, those parties to the, to the exclusion of others. Flip side is that um, one of the good things that's just come out of that is that actually Murdoch doesn't decide elections quite as oh, much yeah. as he might like yeah. to think he did. And, um, uh, but I think media concentration in this country is critical. Um, perhaps, yes, maybe it makes a difference to whether independents and minor parties get elected I'm actually more worried about it from the perspective of democracy. Like, I actually think for us, given these big challenges that we've got to face, um, we need to ensure that we've got a media that is diverse and that is not run by people who've got vested interests in certain things staying the way that they are, because that way um, ruin lies. So I'm worried about what it means for democracy. Mm,
1: Interesting. Um, Allegra, what is the downside of being an independent in a polarised parliament? I actually don't know there is that much of a downside.
3: Um, so I think, because I, I think there's a, a lot, huge amount of upside and the truth is that you, as an independent, you can, you know, forge your own path, you can work out what, you can really listen to your community and really say, okay, how can I best represent my community on these key issues? And because you're, own, you're not, you know, stuck with one group or the other group, you can actually work work the room and work with whoever you can actually make progress with. So I see a huge amount of upside in actually being um, an independent in parliament and particularly um, being an independent with such a big crossbench because I think it, it, you know, you have, you know, I do get to work with other independents and, you know, other, you know, the Greens and others, um, but which I think adds that sort of camaraderie and I think it probably was a bit tough, you know, as a sort of sole community independent. Yeah, it's um, always good. It's always been fun. Yeah. I think it's,
1: so I think there's I a huge
3: it. amount of upside. Yeah. It's actually, it's so you know, there's a huge amount of joy, and I think that's the thing that I often say. That did you just hear what she says? Yeah. Joy. There's a huge
2: amount of joy in politics. No, I've here really... at the Sydney Opera House <laughs> for the first time. Cutting edge, and they're great. I, um, right. <laughs> I reckon. Yeah, yeah, it's true.
3: Yeah, but it, you know. I really enjoyed campaigning, uh, you know, much more than I thought I might. And the reason why I enjoyed it was because you had all these people in the community who said, you know what, I care about the same things you do, so I will stand alongside you. And then you spend a lot of time listening to people and saying, okay, well, what's what's going on for you and what does that mean for, for policy? And I think, you know, that's a huge privilege to understand what's going on in people's lives and then saying, well, you know, I might not know much about this, but actually this is something I need to know about because this is important to my community. So I think there's a huge um, piece of that. I would have found it much harder to have to vote with a party when I disagreed with them. You know, if I had if I'd been sitting with the Libs and, you know, they were voting down refugee policy, I would, you know, I just don't know. That would have been... Um, I would have really, really struggled with that that piece on my values. You could have crossed the floor. No, yeah, I would have be, crossed the floor at all the but, time. But not if you were in the Labor Party. In the Labor Party, I'd be thrown out. Yes. And I think that's, you know, that is, that is a real problem.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, somebody wants to know whether any of the panel would like to share their predictions for next year's state New South Wales state election. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I I, I, think think my, I was going to skip yeah. it, but I thought, no, I'll ask. Yeah.
3: I think it, look, I think it's going, well, I don't, I'm not sure, actually. I think it's, <laughs> and I'm now to being a bit of a wuss. I think, you know, some of the factors, climate was a massive factor in this election. I genuinely believe that. And so I think it is somewhat different in New South Wales than it was it, with the New South Wales, you know, coalition than it is at a, at a state level. But it will also depend on whether these communities stand up and really want to run with it. And so I think that's, to be honest, you know, I agree. People in the audience have more impact on that than Mm. anything I say because I think if communities get mobilised, then I think both major parties should be very, very worried. We will see what happens in the coming months.
4: And one of the things I really like about New South Wales state politics is the Greens got representation in the lower house, not just at the... City level, but at regional level mm. as well. And um, I, uh, I think we're going to see it grow. Mm.
3: I would say also, because people don't often realise that, you know, New South Wales is a minority parliament, you know, for mm. all those people before the election going, oh, God, minority government's going to, you know, um, lead us astray. You know, it's, a, it's actually very stable, I think, minority government and I think mm. you see people like Alex Greenwich stand up for community values, such as, um, you know, the to vilification of, of, um, you know, trans um, people and trans young people. And I think, you know, he, I think he has done an extremely good job in terms of actually standing for Mm -hmm. the values of the community he represents.
1: Um, We've got a couple of minutes left, hopefully a couple more questions. For a coalition of minor parties to form government, you need multiple parties. Will the teals become a party? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. You didn't get to climate 200 (laughs) either. I had plenty of questions about that.
3: (laughs) Look, I think, you know, I was elected as an independent and so was everybody else, you know, no one ever, no one called the, it's the media who calls us the TEALs. It's not actually us who calls ourselves the TEALs. You know, we are all community mm. independents. But I will work with everybody as, um, to try and, you know, to make things better. So, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's going to, I'd be very surprised if it goes that way, but it's, you know, for me, it's just it comes back to that community. I don't think if it ever did, it would look anything like I think the major parties and how they work together.
1: Mm. We're short on time, so I'm going to jump to this one, Kathy because it sort of sums up what we're talking about here. The idea of a bottom-up community engagement model is a powerful one. It offers incredible possibilities. How do we make it scalable and sustainable over time? Mm. So I don't actually know that because it's got to be brought into
2: existence, but I absolutely trust the skill of the people to do it. Like, Australia is one of the most creative, amazing nations, and if anyone's going to bring that into a a form of government that works for us, it'll be the Australian community. And I think we'll grow in our skill of um, talking to each other, um, and you guys are teaching us how you work in parliament. Mm. We're learning about that cooperation. So I'm incredibly optimistic of what we might be able to do if if we could imagine it. Do the Aboriginal work first, because we've really got to do that, and then we imagine into existence a form of government that's not only bottom up, I think that's important, but you, you've got to have the experts, you've got to have the data, and then you've got to have the leadership listening and, and taking, being able to take a leadership role as well. So it's not one or the other, it's actually us as a nation working with our skill level to to, 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 to build the country that we want to have, because we are going to solve the climate crisis, we, we are going to be here in 100 years' time, and for those young guys here, you know, and my nieces and nephews who are here today, this country is going to be yours um, and we will give it to you in a better shape and then it's going to be up to you to how you take us into the next 50 and 60 years. So I'm really, really pleased that you've come today, but I also give you the challenge to stay involved in politics and help us create the world. And I'll just finish off on this because I was here for an earlier session with Malcolm Turnbull talking about the problem of cybersecurity, and, you know, problems that have got to be faced, but it's not my generation that's going to solve those problems. It's going to be your generation that are going to teach us how to live with the internet and the algorithms and everything else that go with it. So um, I'll just finish with that that call out to to those of you who are digital natives to get involved in politics um, and help those of us baby boomers or me, you know, to really do the work that we've got to do.
1: That really does disturbingly sound like... (laughs) ..disturbingly sounds like joy in politics again. And I was just going to observe that that really is the world turned upside down and the perfect place to finish. Would you please join me in thanking (laughs) Allegra Spender, Adam (laughs) Batt, and Kathy McGowan. Thank you.
0: Watch this talk and others from Antidote 2022 on Stream, the streaming platform from the Sydney Opera House. Register for free now and start watching at stream.sydneyoperahouse.com. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon with more ideas at the house.